Let us pray. Lord God, guide our thinking, guide our words, that we may hear you calling and respond. Amen. Can we have our slide, please? It's there. Okay. Good. Thank you. In, sorry, the theme is Christ the King. And this slide shows the Christ in glory. It's the tapestry from Coventry Cathedral. What happened was this. In 1940, among all the bombing, a lot of Coventry was flattened and the cathedral received a number of direct hits. There were ruins standing and the decision was made to leave the ruins and to not pull them down and make them look nice, but to build up the new cathedral around the old one, the old remains that were there, as a symbol perhaps of man's barbarity and inhumanity, but also as a sign of peace and reconciliation. The new cathedral arose out of the ruins. It was designed by Basil Spence, and he commissioned Graham Sutherland to construct a tapestry to go at the end of the North Apse. And this is the tapestry that he produced. And eventually, the cathedral and the tapestry were dedicated in about 19, in 1962. Christ in glory is titled. And this is emphasized in particular in two particular places. Firstly, in the four shapes you can see, the four rectangles. They have animals in them, and these animals represent the four Gospels. Each of the Gospels is dedicated to an animal, in fact, believe it or not. And what Sutherland is trying to say is, Christ's glory comes from his life and his living among the people. His incarnation, his presence with us. Those four Gospels show of a Christ who lived among the people that God loved so much and did not remain distant. The other part is below the feet of Christ, and there you have a crucifixion. Christ's suffering, suffering for his people. If you remember the story that on Easter Day, two people, Cleopas and another, were walking to Emmaus. And as they walked, Jesus came and walked with them. They were obviously downhearted, and he asked them what was going on, and they explained, and he opened the scripture to them and showed them how through the scriptures, what the prophets had been saying, Christ must suffer. And that the crucifixion here reminds us that Christ's suffering is the other side of the incarnation. Christ's suffering here with his people. So if Christ is to be our king, a king who lives among us and suffers with us, what sort of kingdom do we wish to be citizens of? What sort of kingdom do you want to live in? On Palm Sunday, when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the back of a, of a donkey, it was made clear by the people's comments what they wanted, a king of power and might. 
And the words used about Jesus were the same words as those used about Caesar. King of this, king of that, king of the world, king of the universe, saviour of the world. So you had a comparison in types of kingdom. The kingdom of Caesar or the kingdom of Jesus. What type of king? What type of king do we want? What type of king do we need? Perhaps the kingdom we live in might reflect the nature of its king himself. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our king were Jesus? Who watches the repair shop? A lot of you. You know what I'm talking about then. You know that in the repair shop, the program takes people's um, memories and rejuvenates them. Old things which are worn out and tired are brought to life again by Jay Blades and his bag of cronies who are full of all the old skills and crafts. Well, recently, Jay Blades, who runs the repair shop, met Prince Charles, or King Charles, and they both were talking together about how they viewed this idea of the repair shop. And both of them said they liked to encourage apprentices to start up. Apprentices to become skilled in all the arts which were being forgotten. And they said, both of them, separately but together, we think we want a country where people can do their best, can rise to the top of their possibilities, who are given all the hopes and dreams that they could wish to have. That's why they both run apprenticeship schemes. It's a manifesto, if you like, that the king was laying down. A country where all are valued and all are encouraged to do their best. If you like, we might call it his manifesto. I'm good on this word manifesto, you see. So we're going to look at another manifesto now. I thought you might enjoy, enjoy the wrong word. You might appreciate seeing the manifesto of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. What did he say that we could take on board? And we're going to... Isn't she brilliant? She put it just in time for me. Okay. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read out John Wesley's manifesto in modern words, and I'll read it out afterwards in his own words. You'll see how, although we've modernised it, it still makes sense. So he said, first of all, reduce the gap between rich people and poor people. Be ready to distribute to everyone according to their necessity. Help everyone to have a job. Wickedly, devilishly false is that common objection. They are poor only because they are idle. Find them work. They will then earn and eat their own bread. Help the poorest, including introducing a minimum wage. How many are there in this Christian country that toil and labour and sweat, but struggle with weariness and hunger themselves? Is it not worse for one, after a hard day's labour, to come back to a poor, cold, dirty, uncomfortable lodging and to find there not even the food which is needful to repair their wasted energy. Or, 
offer the best possible education. Beware of that common but accursed way of making children parrots. Regard not how much, but how well, to what good purpose they read. The end of education is to help us to discover every false judgment of our minds and subdue every wrong passion in our hearts and to understand as much as we are able. Help everyone to feel they can make a difference. I continue to dream of the time when the potential of each person can be unleashed. Promote tolerance. Though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike, may we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion. Promote equal treatment for women. May not women as well as men bear an honourable part. Yield not to the vile bondage any longer. You as well as men are rational creatures. You, like them, were made in the image of God. Wow, that's 200 years before the women's movement. Um, create a society based on values, not profit and consumerism. In seeking happiness from riches, you are only striving to drink out of empty cups. Let them be painted and gilded ever so finely. They are still empty. 9. End all forms of slavery. Let none serve you but by his own act and deed, by his own voluntary action. Away with all lips, oh sorry, with all whips, all chains, all compulsion. Do with everyone else as you would be done, as you would he should do to you. Avoid getting into wars. War. What farther proof of do we need of the utter degeneracy of all from the plainest principles of reason and virtue, the absolute want both of common sense and common humanity which runs through the whole race of humankind. Share the love of God with everyone. The world is my parish. Care for the environment. Lead us beyond an exclusive concern for the well-being of other human beings to the broader concern for the well-being of the birds in our backyards, the fish in our rivers, and every living creature on the face of the earth. I believe John Wesley was years, decades, centuries ahead of his time. And it's a call for us, a manifesto for us, for a kingdom which makes sense in terms of the gospel we've been called to and what we need now in the world as we are. We may be, quite likely, disappointed with the way daily events seem to be going. There seem to be major problems in health, the economy, education, the care sector, the environment, to mention just a few at home not counting war, famine, drought, slavery, disease, throughout the world. We certainly cannot turn our back and imagine things don't happen, and that people's sins do not matter, or will just go away of their own accord. One can look with a very jaundiced eye on the state of our country when we see MPs being fired for poor behaviour, 
will immediately reappointed. Uh, or MPs who are paid so little, they're so hard up that they have to supplement their income by getting up to silly antics like eating worms in an Australian jungle. I have such sympathy for such poor people. At the end of the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century, lived a man called William Blake. He was a visionary and a poet. He wrote the hymn which we know as Jerusalem. He talks of a time when it was imagined that Jesus came to England. He dreams of what would happen if that was to happen again. And, he's, and the second verse of Jerusalem says this, Bring me my bow of burning gold. Bring me my arrows of desire. Bring me my spear. O clouds unfold. Bring me my chariot of fire. I will not cease from mental fight, nor shall my sword sleep in my hand till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. He's dreaming of a time when our country, and it could have been written for any country, lives in response to God's call, to God's manifesto, shown and revealed in Christ. A country with divine values. Those values that Jesus came to show, which he came to embody, to bring us back to our tapestry now. See the symbols of the Gospels remind us of his incarnation, his living and dying with us, showing us what God wants from us. For Jesus, among uh, the following, among other things, were the signs of his values. No claim to high status. Peace and justice. Care for creation. Not separate and aloof, but among the people bringing meaning and hope and joy, giving life and joy to everyone, showing God's love, whatever the cost. The psalmist said, though the social order is shaken, though our leaders come crashing down, though our honoured standards fly at half-mast and the values we inherited are scorned, even then we have nothing to fear the comforting presence of God pours over us. Christ is King of Kings. Christ is King of all. Acknowledgement of this means acting out our devotion to the King. And perhaps, as with that story before, not keep on putting it off. Accepting Christ's manifesto of a kingdom of joy, peace, love, faithfulness and hope, knowing that all of us are equally precious in God's sight. And also knowing that all the earthly kingdoms are temporary and will not last. Christ's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. We are all called to make the kingdom of God a present reality by our words, our deeds, and our involvement in the life of the place where we live. The king and the kingdom are among us. Amen.